Welcome to this episode of First to Home, a baseball podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Chanel Zapata, the Community Engagement Manager at Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research. And today, Chanel joins the podcast to discuss her experience working for baseball organizations, multiculturalism in the sport, and how to engage diverse populations for years to come. Here's my conversation with Chanel. Well, I'm very excited for this conversation. I've been very much looking forward to it. We have Chanel here to talk baseball with us here on uh, First to Home. Chanel, thank you so much for uh, for joining uh, the show today. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I can't wait to like listen to all the other episodes, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. You know, as you know, most uh, like all of our other shows, we round the bases going first to home talking about all things baseball. And I always like to start at first base with some introductions so that the fans can know you a little bit. Your background is an interesting one. I mean, you've had the opportunity to study sports management, law and business and work for numerous sports organizations in the United States and Puerto Rico. Um, Tell us what sparked your interest in working uh, in the sports world. Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I feel like it was my grandfather's fault, for sure. Um, I am the first and the only granddaughter in my family. So I have to tag along to many baseball, basketball, and even boxing matches with my grandfather because that's what we would do. Or play poker, blackjack, travel. And I, I was there all the time. And then there was also, like, growing up so close to my grandparents, there was a basketball court right in front of their house. So I was bored, and I would just go to the basketball court and convert it to a volleyball and put the net and start playing. And I wasn't the best athlete, like, not at all. You would probably laugh at my athletic skills. (laughs) But I was always out and around sports. But I, I do think that what, like, gravitated my attention to sports was the giving or helping out part because at first when I started my career I thought that I was going to be an agent and I was going to do international signings and then I was like oh probably not the agency but maybe I can be an English as a second language um, teacher because my grandfather is an English as a second language professor and then I was like oh, I don't think I'm going to be that but I can help brands and properties and teams and leagues with the marketing side and really like advocating for different um, minorities that are probably underrepresented. So that's kind of like what gets me going in this industry, I feel like. Absolutely. No, that's great to hear. And so you right now are working with the Society for American Baseball Research or Sabre, as many of the fans probably know it as Sabre. And if you're if you're a fan and you haven't looked up Sabre, I highly recommend that you do. Um, And there you are the community engagement manager. So how would you describe what Sabre does and what you do as a community engagement manager? Yeah. So Sabre I feel like the best way to put it, it's a community of super enthusiastic fans of the game or the sport of baseball. Um, And we do tend to publish work around the sport of baseball. So if you're looking for the first ever perfect game that was ever thrown, we probably have that answer. But also it's interesting because we have chapters 
in the domestic, so like the US, but we also have chapters internationally in Japan, in Nepal, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, even though Puerto Rico's not really international, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as community engagement manager, I tend to deal with different marketing initiatives um, to get more members into our nonprofit, but I also deal with our members from the acquisition state all the way to the renewal. Okay, makes perfect sense. So, um, you know, you, but prior to Sabre, it also worked for a lot of different organizations, including some, I believe you, I, I saw you worked for some baseball teams. Um, tell yes. us a little bit about some of the teams you worked for and some of the work that you did with, with these uh, baseball organizations. Yes. So prior to this, I was with minor league baseball and the headquarters back in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I, I love that. Um, I was working as the liaison between the Hispanic, Latino and Latinx fan engagement initiative, Copa La Diversión, which you might have heard. And if not, check the merch because it's amazing. <laughs> um, but also I was working alongside with MLB Pride, which is for the LGBTQ plus community and different other um marketing or fan engagement initiatives. Before that, hmm, I guess the one that was like really like cool was with the Burlington Royals, which before the whole PBA mm -hmm. was um, an Appy League affiliate or Appy League affiliate of the Kansas City Royals. And that was super cool. I was an intern, but we got to do everything from ticket sales to sponsorship to you know, play around the bases and clean and everything that you can imagine, I did in that internship. And that was a whole summer in North Carolina. So super fun. Work with the Puerto Rico FC, which was um, the team that Carmelo Anthony bought a long time oh. ago. And I was doing community relations there as an intern too. Awesome. Awesome. Now you have obviously a deep familiarity with um, kind of Puerto Rican culture and, and you know, baseball's role in Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico has a rich baseball history and they have a passion for the game like no other. Puerto Rican ball players have had a been a huge part of, of MLB from obviously the greats Roberto Clemente, Orlando Cepeda, um, to Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor today. In your opinion, what has led to baseball being an ongoing part of Puerto Rican culture? See, I like that you said Javi Baez, even though you're a White Sox fan, I can, I, I get it. <laughs> no problem to you. Uh, see, I, I really like this question um, because I'm kind of like weird in that sense. I like to see how different sports go into different countries. So when I was doing a little bit of research on like how Puerto Ricans started playing baseball, basically when Cubans and Americans came to Puerto Rico, they started teaching Puerto Ricans how to play this amazing and beautiful game of baseball. And after Puerto Rico became a colony, basically, after the Spanish-American War, and that was 1898, it like kind of grew and Puerto Ricans started to be even better than the Americans that were supposed to be the masters of baseball. So I, I think it's it's like very symbolic that we have grown to become like such good players, even though our island is very small compared to, you know, the continental U.S. 
um, because it, it's that significance that we we have been in this relationship since 1898, but then like culture keeps evolving. So I, I don't know. I find that super cool. Yeah, it has been. And it, it's it's been kind of almost symbiotic in a way to see how the Puerto Rican culture and those players from from Puerto Rico have influenced the game and vice versa. And you're even seeing that now, which is really interesting. And, yeah. and that makes me think too. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of fans get really excited about those like Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor, but I don't think fans always realize the different paths to the big leagues for Latin players from Puerto Rico, Cuba, uh, Dominican Republic, as opposed to, you know, expiring big leaguers here in the States. I mean, what struggles or, or additional obstacles have you noticed that players from Hispanic or Latin countries or communities um, experience? Yeah, that, that's a really good question again. Um, I don't feel like I know all of it because obviously like I'm not a player. Of course. I feel like there's even differences in the signing period. Obviously when you're international, you can sign when you're 16. But if you're from Puerto Rico, you have to go directly to the draft because mm-hmm. in MLB terms, Puerto Rico's not international. Yeah. So that's like the first like difference that you're like, oh, oh my God, like I didn't know this. Or at least I didn't know this. Um, <laughs> but then I think that the biggest obstacle that I I see in even what having like grown up in Puerto Rico is like the cultural experience that you get when you're here. Mm. So I think about the baseball player and obviously like they're chasing their dreams trying to play baseball. But at the same time, they have to learn all these new laws and regulations Plus also a whole new set of like cultural norms that it's super different. Um, And like one, like really, it's not dumb, but it's an example that I, I've been in the States since I've been 18 and I'm 26 now and I still struggle with it. So obviously like I say hi to someone when we were in person and I like go and kiss them and hug them. And people were like, what, why are you kissing me? And I'm like, uh, sorry. <laughs> That's just the way I do it. So I, I cannot even imagine how it is from the player standpoint. Because you're dealing with so many other things. Mm-hmm. Other than, you know, you have to be good at playing baseball too. So I, I think the cultural adjustment is the main obstacle that some people might not even be familiar with and then I forgot even the language like yes you might be um really familiar with the language you might speak it but imagine those that don't mm-hmm. like you, you have to even like learn another language to be able to communicate and for your coach to communicate with your coach with your friends like wow yeah it's a lot and it's a lot for um for these players to really sacrifice and go through to to reach their dreams to to play a sport in 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 what they see as the top league in the world you know major Mm -hmm. league baseball um and and you know we kind of stole second base there and talked about um um the relationship between puerto rico and baseball and i want to stop at third base for a second here and on that topic talk about the state of diversity in baseball mm-hmm. you know i'm sure you know you and i are on the same wavelength we we both know and understand that you know diversity equity inclusion as it should 
is receiving more attention and not only in sports, but in business, entertainment, I mean, you name it. Um, as things stand now for, for Major League Baseball, where do you see the diversity gaps? And is there anything that the league should be doing or keeping in their brain? Yeah, um, see, like, like you said, diversity, equity, and inclusion are components that every organization should strive for. Not because it's just a trend or it's the thing that everybody's doing. It's just the right thing to do. Um, and I do think that Major League Baseball, as well as other um, sporting entities, I would say, are, you know, making some changes and stepping up. Like we saw it with Bianca Smith, the first um, black coach in professional baseball history. We saw it with Kim Eng being hired as the general manager, finally, 30 years <laughs> later, of the Miami Marlins. Um, and we even see it in the MLS, Major League Soccer, with um, Danita Johnson being named the president of business operations. She came, if I'm correct, from the Sparks in the WNBA. So I think we're, we're getting there. We're, we're doing what we need to do. But then again, I, I feel like there is a major gap when you talk about unpaid internships. Mm. If I talk about my experience, um, I had five internships before I reached my first ever full-time job. Mm. And only two of them were paid. Huh. Yes. And that's a barrier of entry that it's huge because, again, I, I don't know much about HR, so probably don't listen to that part. But <laughs> I, I want to say that if you have an unpaid internship, you're probably recycling the same profile of candidate over and over again because there's people that can simply not afford an unpaid internship. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. Well, and and I'm, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, during my day job, I'm actually a human resources professional, fun oh. fact. So, so you don't know. <laughs> so I do, yeah, I, do, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's the key thing that you mentioned there is is the the barriers of entry. And, and like you said, I mean, it makes you wonder what the league or what our communities need to do to empower, um, you know, folks of, you know, uh, Latinx communities, you know, African-American, mm -hmm. Black communities to give them those opportunities, to give them exposure to that, because that really what it tends to be about. I mean, the fact that we do not have people of color in in upper levels of baseball management is, is just so frustrating in a lot of ways. Like, mm -hmm. I think about, I think about, um, Kenny Williams on the White Sox. He's executive vice president of the White Sox and you know, used to be the general manager for many years. Um, I still think he is the only man of color in that position in all of the sport. And wow. that, I mean, that's, that's crazy. He's been in that position for decades or he's been with that organization for decades and there's still no change has happened. So, but you're saying really at that ground level is the most important place to start doing that work. Yeah, because that's, that's how you enter the sports industry. You have to do all these, all these internships, all this volunteer work so that you can actually like get the foot in the door and find that full-time job that you have dreamt of forever. Um, and I have to admit that I was super privileged and grateful in a way because my family was like, okay, like 
we'll support you and we can help you pay the rent or we can help you with food. But not everyone is in that position. So I, I think it's really unfair that we're still in 2021 and we're talking about unpaid internships. Like I see that and I'm like, no, like, th- <laughs> like this is a joke for me. So I, I can probably like keep ranting. So I, I will not. No, you, you are right. And not even just from a baseball standpoint, from just a, a general life and business standpoint, uh, mm-hmm. I think you're seeing those those unpaid internships kind of fall to the side because I think a lot of organizations in and outside of sports are, are thinking, I can't attract anyone if I'm un, if I have an unpaid internship because that's just how the trend is. But it's very, uh, yeah, very interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned that you had worked with not only, you know, Hispanic Latin communities, but also, yeah. you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. those with intellectual developmental disabilities. Yeah. And I'm sure this is where um, fans know probably the, the least about what, mm-hmm. what baseball means for those communities. But how can we best ensure that those communities are included in the game? Yeah, I think that for us on the league and on a brand or team side, my first recommendation would really be to play the long game. And by that long game, I really mean that we're so focused most of the time on ROI and those immediate, um, Mm. (laughs) sorry, I don't know the word, but we're focused on immediate like gratification. But we also have to understand that these members of the community may have never been to a baseball game. Mm So you have to understand that it's going to take some time to build that rela- build that relationship and be like, okay, it's it's safe for me to go in there. It's going to be okay if I need um, to use the restroom or if I need something to eat, they're going to have, provide something that I can eat. So that's what I mean of playing the long game. Like, don't get too frustrated if, let's say, you host your first um, MILB Pride, for example, and you don't see their turnout that you were expecting don't get frustrated. Maybe like they haven't even heard about you. So it's just playing the long game. Um, and really like educate yourself. Know like what makes them happy, what makes them tick, what like how do they feel safe or not. I, I think that's super important. But also before I would say playing the long game, I think you really have to have buy-in from the organization from the top down because that people know when you when you don't have that people understand that you might be you know like looking for something else or being opportunistic so if you have it from the top down and then start playing the long game i feel like that's the recipe for success for any um underrepresented minority campaign or movement or even initiative yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of consideration about, you know, the best approaches to that. And it's something that's ever growing and, and evolving. And, you know, it makes me almost think about what you mentioned earlier. It isn't only a under underrepresented communities as far as, um, you know, um, Hispanic Latin communities, LGBTQ+, but also there is a disproportionate representation of women in the sport. And you mentioned that earlier, being a woman involved in the sport. Um, do you see that MLB has made improvements in this area? Or is this something that you think that uh, we're a long way away from right now? See, I've never worked with MLB directly. So I don't want to speak exactly to those terms. 
But optically, what I've seen with those appointments that they have done with the front office, I feel like, yes, there, there's, there's change. But there's also, at least for me, being in that intersection of being a Puerto Rican and being a female and being a person of color and all that, when I like look at jobs, I also have to think about different stuff. Like maybe I want to get pregnant. Would they offer maternity leave? Would I have to have a baby like before or after the playoffs? Because I'm not going to be able to have it. Like, am I going to, am I going to be able to take that time? Are they going to even offer it to me? Or is this like the first thing that they've ever like dealt with? So that's their technicalities that I still think that are important to be addressed and maybe they have been um and I just don't know because I don't work there mm-hmm. um but yes I feel like they're doing really good job on that now before we move on to to, to home plate here I have to ask you some personal questions about okay. who your who your team is who your okay. your player <laughs> is so tell me all about it who's who's your who's your team what team are you a fan of okay my team is the Yankees Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's because I, I had it, I had a bunch of internships and volunteer work with them. So it's like the roster, the roster, I should say, that I know the best. But I I betray them sometimes, most of the times, for any other Puerto Rican. So now when Kika Hernandez is gonna play against the Yankees, I am probably gonna root for the Red Sox because Alex Cora is also there. So it's not, you know, if there's a Puerto Rican, I'm probably going to root for him. I want to talk about, to kind of wrap things up, our last subject today is diversity's impact on the growth of MLB. And it seems like, and we hear this a lot, you know, one of the biggest concerns from Major League Baseball, all of its teams, certainly a lot of us, is attracting new fans to the game, especially Mm -hmm. younger generations. I mean... How can diversity, in your opinion, you know, be a catalyst for ongoing fan engagement? Yeah. So I was reading this pamphlet probably a couple months ago, and there was this stat that really like caught my attention. And it basically said that by 2044, the ethnic minority will be the majority. And if you really think about it, 2044 is not that far away. So I was like, okay, as the sports and entertainment industry, we really need to evolve and change in order to survive this new generation and still, you know, have our sports, have an entertainment that's representative of our society that we currently are living or in that moment, I would say. Um, But I, I think that change is happening slowly, but it's happening. I would like to see, again, more representation from the top down. I would want to see a more inclusive, like, office culture. So the maternity leave, like, sexual harassment. Like, I would want that eradicated from, like, all sports. I I would not want anyone to have to deal with that. But I also think that we also need to reassess our core values and, you know, not just, like, put them on walls and, oh, it's whatever. No, like look at your core values like think what you want to be and that's what starts making the change so i feel like by 2044 we should be fine 
that is a great uh, a great goal, and hopefully it's well before that. But I think by 2044, we've had well more than enough time <laughs> at right. that point. Um, so I, I have to I have to ask, having <laughs> been um, you know in the sport, working in multiple um, you know different baseball organizations, <laughs> what would be your advice for a woman of color? of color um, from, you know, uh, Latina, Latina community who's trying to break into the sport, what advice would you give them? That's such like a good question. Like that's like striking me in the heart. There's this quote and it's super cheesy, super cheesy. Um, so don't make fun of me, but it says nobody is you and that is your power. And I, I don't know why I love that quote. Um, no, I'm, I'm lying. I do know why I love that quote. It's because when I first came into the U.S., obviously, I had a very thick accent, and I still have a little accent here and there, um, and it, it gets better when I'm nervous, so thank God I'm not nervous, um, but I was really, like, trying to kind of, like, put a mask on who I was so that I could be presentable and, like, fit into the cultural norms, but now that I've gained, like, more experience and more self-confident and confidence in who I am it's okay to be you so if you're loud and if you like to wear your hair down and you have long curly hair like me you wear glasses do it that that's you like don't let anybody like mess up with your essence and who you are but also don't forget where you came from because that's super important as well so I always like have like something Puerto Rico like this I don't know if you can see it and our listeners are probably not going to see it either, but I always have like a little necklace or rings or whatever that reminds me of like, hey, you're from PR, like you can do everything and anything. So that's what I would say. Well, it is, uh, it's certainly, I think a big thing now in Major League Baseball, that that notion of being yourself. And it's something that I'm really excited about because mm-hmm. I see even a lot of these ball players, whether you are from in the States, Puerto Rico, Cuba, doesn't matter, more and more players are being themselves. And I think that's encouraging for a lot of young fans out there um, from all sorts of communities who are seeing that on the ball on uh, on, on the ball field and can um, you know use it as an example, not only from folks working in baseball like yourself, but the players too, that's great. Um, so the last question I have for you is about your passion for the game. I mean, what would you say if you can pinpoint, what do you think is your favorite thing about the sport of baseball and what fuels that passion for the sport? My favorite thing about baseball, hmm, I think it's because of the really good memories that I have with my grandfather. Um, just like being at the ballpark or just, you know, playing catch, even though I was really bad and probably not catching any of the balls. Not, not. I, I caught a little bit. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just that memory that um, I don't even know how to describe, but it, it's just that like link that I have to being from Puerto Rico. It's just something that speaks to my soul and it sparks so much inspiration that like you say baseball and I'm like, yes, what? I'm here. Um, so I, I love that. But it, it's definitely my grandfather's fault. Um, and I, I have to thank him in a way because even though I was, what, three or four, like he inspired me to like now have this whole career about around the sporting industry. So thanks to him, like tagging me along to everything. That's awesome. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough 
for joining us today on First to Home. And, and I, I just want to thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. It's so important. More people need to know about it, which is why I'm glad you were here. Chanel, thank you so much for joining me. And for those of you who want to learn more about uh, Chanel or, or Sabre, please go to the Sabre website. Yeah. Um, and then are, are people able, able to follow you on, on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? Yes, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's my first and last name, so Chanel Zapata. Feel free to follow me. And Anthony, thank you so much for the opportunity. I love the conversation. I could probably do 20 more episodes if you would want, because I love to talk. I love your questions. So thank you again. Well, I appreciate that. And I may take you up on that. So thank okay. you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of First to Home. Today, we're reminded how important not only diversity is in baseball, but our capacity to include others to ensure they feel they belong in our community of baseball fans. For baseball is a sport worth sharing with everyone. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media. Catch you next time on First to Home.